We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed the first ever el trafico was taken over by one zlatan ibrahimovic in a performance for the ages it is the stuff of legend but that's what legends and stars do they take what couldn't possibly happen and show that it can hello sunshine I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking the Zlatan historic lion's roar in the first ever El Trafico. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. We will have our World Cup date segment and so much more. But as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. David Mossy, how are you, my friend? I am good. The jersey of choice today is Grêmio, a Brazilian club. They are your reigning South American champions. Blue and black striped there. You chose not to wear another uh, University of Michigan jersey, uh, although your team tonight, we are recording this on a Monday, is, if I'm not mistaken, playing in the national championship, right? Correct. We prevailed on Saturday. Sister Jean ran out of gas in the second half. <laughs> As a 96-year-old is wont to do, right? And 98, actually. 98, excuse me. And tonight it's Villanova. That's a tall order. We're, we're most likely going to lose uh, tonight. You're not bullish about this. No, no. Uh, we have a puncher's chance. I'll be rooting hard, but they are a superior team. Well, I wish you luck on the, uh, the basketball court, but we are here to talk about soccer and so much good stuff that has happened uh, this week, not the least of which is... Zlatan. All right, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As always, we start off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, as you heard, this is what I have to say about the state of soccer here in the United States. We saw a piece of MLS history this weekend that will not soon be forgotten. The first ever El Trafico, the LA Derby featuring the Los Angeles Galaxy and LAFC, was taken over by one Zlatan Ibrahimovic in a performance for the ages. His two goals in a 19-minute appearance as a substitute enabled the Galaxy to cap off a historic comeback from down 3-0 to winning 4-3. It is the stuff of legend, but that's what legends and stars do. They take what couldn't possibly happen and show that it can. Stars like Zlatan are fueled by that perfect combination and balance of beautiful ego and arrogance and innate ability. Now, there are some who will say that a 36-year-old coming off the bench and a serious knee injury and scoring two goals is actually an indictment of MLS and points more to the low quality of the league rather than the high quality of the player. But Zlatan's performance had nothing to do with the opposition or the competition. 
He could have scored those goals against any team in any league in the world. Something, by the way, Zlatan has been doing for the better part of the last 20 years. That he did it in MLS doesn't diminish the feat. As a matter of fact, one could argue that maybe for the first time ever, Zlatan stepped on the field playing for a mediocre and inferior team relative to the competition. And yet, he found a way to be Zlatan. He is bold. He is audacious. He is Zlatan. And the fact is, he is something to behold no matter where he's playing. And that is this week's State of the Union. All right, Mossy, Zlatan, talk to me about it. Uh, true story. My father was watching the game and actually shut it off at 3-1. And when I spoke to him later <laughs> oh, in the no. day, had no idea what had happened. Uh, I alerted him to it. Luckily, he had recorded the game, so he went back and watched it then. And it was absolutely incredible. Now, uh, Senior Sports Illustrated writer, Fox Sports contributor Grant Wall wrote a column in which he claimed that this was the greatest moment in MLS history. Do you concur? I can, I can make an argument for that. I've been around a long time, Mossy, well before you were uh, around and certainly uh, before you were uh, following Major League Soccer. I was there for the very first ever Major League Soccer game. I was there for the very first ever MLS Cup. Uh, obviously played uh, for the New England Revolution at that time and played in their first ever. So I've been around a long time is what I'm saying. And I've seen a lot of MLS the on-field product and just the off-field reaction and the way that not just the league and not just the sport, but our country and in this case, North America has adopted and grown into this league. So I've seen a lot of moments. I was around for the David Beckham stuff. Uh, the reality is that, yes, I was down at the StubHub Center and there was a real sense that we were seeing something historic, something seminal, something that, look, I'm not here to argue about what MLS is and what MLS isn't. I'm here to say that in that moment, we saw a special player do something very, very special. And we can argue about all those things, but at its core, it was a moment to be savored. It was a moment to be enjoyed. And so many times in life, we have all these external forces changing the way that we feel about a moment. Just sit back and enjoy this moment for what it was. One of the historic moments in this league, something that, as I said, should be savored, something that you can tell people about many, many years from now. Is it going to change soccer and change MLS? Probably not, but it is going to be one of those moments, and we have them for all other sports and all other leagues when we talk about their history. So it was special to be there, and for a guy that's seen a lot of special moments, this is one that I'll remember. It's funny because a few days ago, Grant was pushing back against this notion that this was the second biggest foreign signing in MLS history behind only David Beckham. He said it was fourth on his list behind Beckham, Thierry Henry, and Jovinko. Now, I suppose it depends what your criteria is, but I will say this. I think in the annals of football history, Thierry Henry is a greater player than Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but this feels bigger. I'm sorry. With all due respect to Henry, this whole Zlatan thing feels bigger than Henry was. So I'm closer to you. I think it's number two. When we talk about stars and we talk about players that transcend the game, there's a reason why they do that. It's because in those moments, as I said in the State of the Union, when, yes, you think this, this, this in my hopes and dreams could happen, but the reality is it's not going to, he stepped up and did it. I, I can tell you the moment when I was sitting on the side, because uh, our studio was on the field, and me and Rob Stone were, were watching the game, and I remember looking over, and it was three to nothing, and I said, they're going to put him in, and it's going to be a moment because they're going to clap, and, and Zlatan is playing in MLS for the LA Galaxy. And he might get a couple of touches. He may even find a way to score a goal. But never did I envision this type of 
and it, and it has to be said, this Hollywood type of arrival and coming on and not just scoring, but scoring the winning goal in such dramatic fashion. You know, when they, they, uh, they tell you in broadcasting school not to, not to say that, that trite and cliched type of uh, you can't write this stuff uh, in these moments, but you do write this stuff because it is to a certain extent so preposterous, and yet to actually see it happen in front of you it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart, my old redheaded heart, to see something like that. The amazing thing is he completely overshadowed Carlos Vela, the other big foreign signing who was terrific in that game as well. And yeah, that 3-3 goal, that goes into his collection. He scored some great ones over the years. The Ajax one where he dribbled past like five guys in the box. Obviously that long-distance bicycle kick in that Sweden-England friendly in 2012. I don't know where this one ranks, but it's up there. I mean, that was an incredible it was goal. It was wonderful. We actually had Carlos Vela as the post-game interview even when it was 3-1, to one, we had him because, and by the way, LAFC is going to be fine. They are going to be more than fine. They are going to be competitive. I thought Marco Ureña was wonderful in this game. As you mentioned, Carlos Vela, this guy Kay in the, the Canadian in the midfield, they have plenty of good things. But it's going to be overshadowed when Zlatan comes into the game, but more importantly, when he comes into the game and does what he, what he does. Now, I mentioned it in my State of the Union. There are those out there, those folks out there that look at this as a negative. And this is a natural type of reaction to a certain extent. And those that have been around American soccer understand that this is kind of what we do as American soccer folks. We have this, uh, I don't know how to explain it other than this, this insecurity and this inferiority complex when it comes to our game, our leagues, our players, uh, what we are, what we aren't, the inevitable compare and contrast. And many have, have, have used this to say, well, this just furthers that narrative that this is a retirement league. Do you buy into any of that? No, not at all. Uh, both those goals were goals that would happen in any league, especially the 3-3 one. I don't know uh, what uh, league that wouldn't have happened in. I mean, there's no way a goalkeeper would have been expecting a shot from there, so he would have been standing off his line, and Zlatan just connected on a perfect strike. So, no, we'll see how this plays out moving forward. But for now, he's, he did things that would, he, would, he would have done in any league in the world. So Now, uh, and, and let's, let's end on this. Our, and this is my question to you, but I'm going to read you a quote here. My question is, are we overhyping this? Are we doing a disservice? And are we doing something different than would be done in, in other leagues? And I'm going to read you this quote here from Francisco Calvo, the uh, Minnesota United uh, defender uh, and the Costa Rican defender. We will see him this summer with Costa Rica in the World Cup, said after their game this weekend, a game in which they lost one nothing to Atlanta in Minnesota, even though Atlanta went down to 10 men. He said, I'm tired of how Major League Soccer gives a lot of credit to Atlanta or expletive LAFC. It's weird how Minnesota wins and Major League Soccer says, oh, it's okay, it's just Minnesota winning. But Atlanta wins or LAFC wins and they make a show of it. I don't know why. I think we deserve more respect in the league. I'm tired of that because there are 23 teams in the league uh, that people... Uh, are talking stupid things about us, you're going to shoot your mouth off and you see how Minnesota is going to do. Once again, Francisco Calvo, the defender for uh, Minnesota United. Now, if you're a player or if you're a fan around and you see all of this attention and focus on El Trafico first and foremost, and then obviously Zlatan taking it, do you, do you resent it or do you understand it and respect the fact that this is something that resonates all over the world and is justified in terms of the response? Well, interestingly enough, that ESPN survey they did with MLS players, there was a lot of griping about the salary 
salary structure, the fact that the big foreign stars gobble up all the money. Now, in this case, Laton actually isn't making that much money, but in terms of the attention, he's going to gobble all that up. So, yeah, I could see there being some resentment from the uh, other players in MLS that, that the Zlatans get all the attention. So, yeah, that is something to look for, I suppose. Look, I understand that, and, you, and Squeaky Wheel at times gets the grease. But the fact is there is a difference between a team and a player in Minnesota as opposed to a team and a player in Los Angeles, whether that's the Los Angeles Galaxy or LAFC. Now, last question for me on this. Uh, MLS has been dinged over the years for trying to, quote-unquote, manufacture rivalries. Mm -hmm. You were in that stadium. Did that feel authentic, the whole Galaxy LAFC thing? The LAFC folks were there. We actually walked in. There was a whole lot more than 100. I think they had said there was going to be 100. There was a lot more than 100. They had that whole section. They were there bright and early, the only ones in the stadium, as a matter of fact. It, It was palpable. It was... There were, there were people that took their sides, both uh, in terms of the colors that they were wearing and where they were sitting. It felt, it felt and this is a bad word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It, it felt authentic. And it shouldn't surprise anybody that it was authentic. Everything, to a certain extent, is manufactured in terms of a brand new league featuring a brand new team. And by the way, are you okay with El Trafico? Because there was some uh, conversation and uh, debate about whether it should be called El Trafico. No, I love it. It's awesome. I think it's wonderful. I think you're just a stick in the mud and a big grouch if you don't like El Trafico. We're, we're sticking with it. It's not going away, by the way. And as I said, the uh, the league has no plans to trademark it. That's what they've told me. It is. It was, it was named by the fans. I think it's a wonderful name. I think it's got a little tongue-in-cheek to it, which is a good thing. And I think it's incredibly representative, and it's memorable. And that's what people are calling it, so that's what we're calling it. The first ever ever El Trafico lived up to the hype, by the way. It is going to go down in history as one of the, not, not just the first El Trafico, but it is going to go down in history as one of the great games in Major League Soccer. And a lot of that has to do with one Zlatan Ibrahimovic. All right, moving on. Masi makes the case. Yes, indeed, it is time for that chestnut that is Mossy Makes the Case. David Mossy, what do you have for the people this week? Alexi, my case is that Americans need to watch more of the Bundesliga, perhaps at the expense of the Premier League. Now, full disclosure, I came up with this topic before the Bayern Dortmund game, then Bayern go out and win 6-0, which plays into the biggest criticism of the Bundesliga, the fact that Bayern are so much better than everybody else. And I acknowledge that is an issue, but it doesn't change my overall argument. The fact is, the lone bright spot for the U.S. in this last qualifying campaign and the greatest source of hope for the future is Christian Pulisic. He even scored against Trinidad. He plays for Dortmund. The first match after the qualifying campaign was a 1-1 friendly draw with Portugal. The goal was scored by Weston McKinney. He plays for Schalke. The U.S.'s first win after the qualifying campaign was 1-0 over Paraguay the other night. The goal was scored by Bobby Wood. He plays for Hamburg. At halftime of that U.S.-Paraguay game, Tony Miola delivered a spiel on the state of U.S. soccer in which he pointed out that 2017 was actually a great year for the U.S. at youth level. They reached the quarterfinals of the Under-17 and Under-20 World Cups. Their leading scorer in both those tournaments was Josh Sargent, who plays for Werder Bremen. The future of the U.S. national team is in Germany, along with John Brooks, Fabian Johnson, Timmy Chandler, Aaron Johansson. And yet we've been puzzled at Fox, frankly, that if we put like a Dortmund-Hamburg game on FS1 with Pulisic and Bobby Wood starting opposite even an average Premier League game, Everton-Southampton, the Premier League game will get triple the rating. And it's, it's particularly strange for me because you know 
I base my entire uh, viewing of European football through the lens of Brazilian players. Right. And every Brazilian I know is like that. Every Argentine I know is like that about their players. Every Mexican I know is like that. But it somehow doesn't apply to Americans. This thing they have with the Premier League trumps watching even their own players play. What do you make of all that? Well, Mossy, we know that you are a savant uh, when it comes to this game. And to compare yourself or to expect anybody else out there to view the world through your eyes, uh, th- that's, that's not something that we should be doing, okay? You, you are also a very, very intelligent young man. Why do you think it is that people are so attracted to the EPL? I have my ideas, but before I tell you, go ahead, you tell me. No, I, I think the... EPL is a very compelling uh, league. In fact, if you're ranking the best leagues in Europe, I would put it above the Bundesliga. So all things being equal, a neutral would probably watch more of the Premier League rather you're, than the Bundesliga. So you're you're, you're flummoxed argu- as to why people that love is, American players yeah, wouldn't watch it because My argument is the- Americans are not neutrals. You have a dog in this fight. Right. Germany, that, that's the country that believes in American players, that's signing them, that's giving them a chance to play. And for the foreseeable future, the Bundesliga is the only place where you can watch top American players play in meaningful games. So... That would be my argument. Well, I think the English language has something to do with it. And I think the fact that the EPL does a wonderful job in propping itself up. I mean, it is a wonderful case study in how, first off, the migration that happened, but then the ability to market this and, and as I said, prop up this product that they have as the best in the world. Now, that's that's debatable, but the reality is, is they've done a wonderful job of promoting and and marketing this product as the best in the world. And one of the ways that they do that is, first off, it's based in English language, and I think that resonates with more people. Secondly, I think they do an incredible job churning in those other uh, 22 and a half hours of every day all of the stories and all of the narratives that happen off the field with these players as personalities, with these players as characters, uh, with and not even stuff necessarily that always has to do with soccer. So there's always something interesting going on. And not just the players, but also the coaches. Now, I will say that the Bundesliga has gone to great lengths, because I'm not telling them anything that they don't know, to make everything that they do available in English language. Talk about churning content. The Bundesliga does an incredible job of churning out content daily for people out there. But once again, and it, it's not lost in translation. I just think that there is an affinity to a league that is based in the English language for a country that obviously is based in the English language for, uh, come the United States. Now, I do think that there are people that wouldn't normally tune into the Bundesliga in the United States that are tuning in or are at least aware of it because of this migration of some of players over to to the Bundesliga and it's just going to get more because it's easier for players to go to uh, go to Germany and I think Germany recognizes that American talent I think they respect American talent maybe more and they have a a more open mind to American talent. By the way, I, I digress, but there's a wonderful article this week from uh, Tim Ream, who's playing over in England, about the uh, the fact that American players, the difficulties they have because of this stigma of being American. But I don't think that that necessarily exists over in Germany, which is why you're seeing some of these Except players Except for with over. the Hertha Berlin goalkeeping coach. Well, um, that's, yeah, but, he's, he's uh, too American. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the people that bother me are the Alex Dowds of the world, our uh, podcast producer who's a big champion. Chelsea fan doesn't give a rat's ass about the Bundesliga. It's people like that who have been right. sucked in by that marketing campaign. Not for nothing, he's about three feet away from yes. you right now in the room. Uh, but Now, you moved to Italy in the mid-90s mm-hmm. when that was the top league in the world. Was Germany a consideration? What was the opinion of—obviously, you had Eric Winalda right. there at the time. 
So, so here's what happened. After the 1994 World Cup, uh, where I was this coming out party, I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual and changed my life forever. Opportunities uh, to play, opportunities off the field, everything was open to me. So the opportunity to play, there was a team in England, there was a team in uh, Germany, and there was a team in Italy. Now keep in mind, this was a long time ago, and the landscape of soccer was very different, as you said. There was only one place that I was going because of the perception of what Serie A was at that time. In the 80s and 90s, Serie A was the place to go. All the greatest players were there, all the money, all the prestige, all the attention. EPL wasn't what it is right now. They hadn't started to market it in the way. Otherwise, it would have been a very different conversation for me to possibly go to England or even Germany in the way that Germany, the Bundesliga has marketed, marketed itself. It was the place. And talk about a case study. The migration that happened from Italy and the way that it changed and players that were going to Italy and would look at Italy then changed to go to England. They're not going to England for the, uh, for the food and the weather. They're going because it is the place to go. It's all, it's all the biggest money. So that, that's how I got to Italy. But if I had that decision in the summer of 2018 as opposed to the summer of 1994, it would be a very different proposition. I think it would be very hard not to go to England. Now, on the topic of Pulisic, we've discussed this on this podcast. I'm very worried about Dortmund. They are drifting away here. The notion that they're a rival to Bayern is becoming, frankly, a major stretch. And I wonder where Pulisic's head is at right now in terms of his future, how much longer he's going to stay there, because uh, that does not strike me as a club anymore that's going to be challenging for major trophies in the foreseeable future. So uh, that was a, a rough one for him this week, and he didn't play well, but, I mean, he didn't really have a chance. They were completely outclassed from start to finish, 6-0. Well, well, you mentioned it very quickly, and we'll, we'll finish it up with, with this. The elite that exists in England as opposed to the elite that is, exists in the Bundesliga. And it is a one-horse show when it comes to the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich, and nobody's competing uh, with them. You mentioned this, the, was it 6 nothing uh, this weekend? I mean, there's it's, it's almost... It's next to impossible right now for any other team to compete with them. And this is where the problem is for the Bundesliga. If you are an elite player in the Bundesliga, either you play for Bayern Munich or you look outside the country. And that's where Christian Pulisic is right now, because I do think that he is at least considered a potential elite player. So his move within Germany is either to Bayern Munich or it's out of the country. And if it's out of the country, he's got to be looking to England. And, you know, we're going to talk Champions League in a bit, but when you have a team dominating to that degree, the question becomes, are they that good or is everybody else bad? And the Champions League is what sort of sorts that out. So there's a lot of Bayern Munich are the best team in Europe buzz right now off this game. We'll see when they face a Real Madrid or Barcelona in the Champions League. To me, there's still a little bit of a question mark there, but uh, certainly no rivals for them in Germany right now. So to recap, according to David Mossy, if you are a true American, you should be watching the Bundesliga. And if you are not then I guess it stands to reason that you are un-American. All right, thank you, David Mossy. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, indeed, our next segment, as you heard, the Ask Alexi segment. What do the folks out there want to know, David? All right, first up, at Ryan4982, what do you think most players would rather do, win a World Cup or UEFA Champions League? This is interesting because I thought about this uh, this last night, knowing that this question was going to come. My initial reaction right off the bat is it's not even a question. It is the World Cup. And then I started to think about players that potentially are playing for national teams that, let's be honest, have little to no chance of winning the World Cup. Either they're just such small countries that it's never happened before, uh, or they're not even going to make the World Cup finals when it comes to uh, the 32 teams or, or whatever it gets up to in the future. And yet, I still came back to the fact that 
it might even be more so for them winning the World Cup as opposed to winning uh, Champions League. Now, there are, there are benefits that you get um, and long-lasting benefits that you get, but there is nothing that lasts longer than the iconic moment that a player will, will feel of winning the World Cup. Now, I have not won a World Cup, so I'm just imagining what it would be, what it would be like. But if you ask me, the opportunity to say that for your country you did something, and, th- and I think that there is a difference and a differentiation between doing something for your club and doing something for your country. Yes, there are, are historic parts of it, and yes, you may be remembered for a long time, but I still think that without a doubt that, a, that if a player is really honest in that moment when you wake somebody up in the middle of the night when they're at their most honest, they will, to a man, to a woman, say winning a World Cup is always going to be more important than winning a Champions League. I think most players would say World Cup, but Americans would be surprised. Fans, the, the degree in other countries around the world that they That's care more yeah. about their clubs and their national teams. Our former boss, John T. Whitehead, big Sheffield Wednesday supporter, he told me many times he would much rather Sheffield Wednesday win the Premier League than England win the World Cup. It wasn't even close. That that blows my mind. I, I can't even <laughs> fathom that as, as, I guess, as an American and I'm not sure. Maybe that's no. I'm not, I am sure that that sentiment uh, exists for many people that that love their club. And it's it's not that I can't understand loving a club and having a passion. What I can't understand is having that love for a club supersede, at least theoretically, the love for your country. And I'm not saying people don't love their country. Don't get me wrong. Don't scream and yell and write me and uh, and and tweet me. But if somebody like Jonti were to says that, I just. I, it would never even occur to me that winning something for a club, as much as a club might be important and as much as I might love a club, could ever be more important than winning something for a country. Next up, at Tweets by Nico, why do you think Mario Balotelli didn't get a call up for Italy? Uh, let me just say on this, uh, I, if I'm Balotelli, I wouldn't read anything too much into this. Uh, Italy are in a weird transition stage. I don't think Di Biagio is going to be the long-term coach there. So let's wait and see who they hire and if that guy calls up Balotelli. And, and if not, then he has an issue. But these two games they played in this last international break against Argentina and England were very weird. The whole feel around them. Yes, there were some young guys there, the Cutrones, the Chiesa, the Pellegrinis. Donnarumma started against England. So there was some sense of turning the page. But then you also had guys like Buffon and Bonucci there. So I don't think Italy have quite moved on yet and figured out what direction they're going to go next. Uh, so I, if I'm Balotelli, I would sit tight and wait. But, you know, if he doesn't get called up, to me, the issue, plain and simple, is the fact that he's playing in France. You know, we, we've talked about how prideful uh, fans are of their domestic leagues. I and mean, Italy, you know better than anybody how proud they are of Serie A. Sure. And so a, a striker that's doing it in Serie A, like Immobile, who's putting up incredible numbers this season, Bellotti struggling this season, but scored 26 Serie A goals last season, uh, that kind of guy is going to get the nod. And Insigne, a Cutrone, who's putting up numbers in Italy, I, mean, I think a manager has an easier time walking into a press room and saying, I'm going to call these guys up versus somebody that's doing it in France or in Jovinko's case, MLS. So that's always been what's hurt Jovinko, and I think it's hurting Balotelli now not being in Italy. That's my take on it. Well, the, the provincial type of thinking that, that Italy may have with regards to Balotelli because he's doing it where he's doing it, or as you mentioned, Jovinko doing it where he's doing it, I, I, think, that that, I think that is problematic going forward. I think the, the, the bigger problem right now for Italy is that they don't have true goal scorers. And so when somebody is a big name like Balotelli is, or is just scoring lots of goals like Jovinko is, is doing, people say, listen, now if, it would be different if they had 
plenty of options, and not just options that are scoring goals, but options in the Italian mold up top where people are scared of this player. And the last Italian striker that people were scared of probably was Balotelli, right? I mean, when you when you look at it, just a consistent guy that he's not scoring ridiculous amounts of goals, but as a defender, I have to worry about. And as a teammate, I recognize the other team has to fear. That's why I think that there is, but, but, uh, there is this talk about Balotelli uh, or Jovinko for that, for that matter, because there is not a true leader in terms of goal scoring for Italy going forward. But I do agree with you that this is a team in transition. And I don't know what Italy is going to look like going forward. And once again, the way we talk about the U.S. team, until they actually hire a coach, in the U.S. case, it's actually until they hire a GM and then hire a coach, you're not going to know what the, what the direction is of this team. But Balotelli also is a separate case because of the crazy that is oftentimes involved with this, uh, with this player. So it wouldn't surprise me going forward if he is not called in because – Maybe, maybe more so who he is and maybe a desire to just kind of break from the past in the same way that the U.S. is doing and do some things completely different and cultivate another type of group and in, in doing so cultivate another iconic goal scorer up there. But that guy has yet to emerge. Now, Balotelli expressed disappointment, but in a more measured way. His agent, Mino Raiola, went off and thought it was ridiculous that Balotelli didn't get called up. Mino Raiola, incidentally, also Zlatan's agent, which segues nicely into our next question. At Prof12, is Zlatan going to be the best big-name signing in MLS history when it's all said and done? The best. We'll see. It depends what your definition of the best is. Uh, if, I just, if you just want a, a hot take answer right off the bat, I would say no. Not that he won't have impact. Not that he won't sell tickets and jerseys and sponsorship and and bring eyes and attention but having lived through the David Beckham moment there has been and even with notwithstanding what happened this weekend at the StubHub Center there is yet to be someone who has made a not just an initial but a long lasting impact as to how the league is viewed both internally and externally better and more so than David Beckham. So David Beckham is always going to be because there is no other David Beckham. David you talk about transcending the sport and yes Zlatan does but not in the way that David Beckham did. The thing that Zlatan has in his favor is that he's a goal scorer. And the, if if he if he was a a central midfielder that kept the rhythm. If he was a Pirlo type of player and he came on the other day and he had had a wonderful game in that he was diamond people out and, and turning and, and just playing incredible, that wouldn't have resonated. Nobody would care. The reason why we care is because this larger-in-life figure walked on the field and scored goals. If he continues to do that and provide those types of moments, then he has the ability to be number two. But, in, but I don't think anybody's ever catching or passing uh, David Beckham. His legacy continues to be felt in, in terms of the perception of this league by us and by the world. There's a reason why the first team that people think about when they think about Major League Soccer is the Los Angeles Galaxy. It goes back to that whole super club concept that I talked about for many, many years. It is a battle for hearts and minds around the world, and nobody was better at bringing that message than David Beckham. That is it. All right. Thank you for your questions. Please, please keep them coming on Facebook, on Twitter with the Ask Alexi hashtag. Hit us up. And who knows, one day you may live in a world where David Mossy is reading your question on the State of the Union podcast. All right, moving on. 
World Cup update. Okay, it is time for our World Cup date, if you will. We are 73 days away from the World Cup this summer in Russia. I cannot wait. All right, Mossy, what are we talking about uh, today when it comes to our World Cup date? We are going to do a little big picture recap of this last international break, which was the last set of friendlies before the squads are announced for the World Cup. And for me, the story was Spain. A very impressive performance against Germany in a 1-1 draw. They outplayed Germany in that game. And then they turn around and beat Argentina 6-1. They were already my pick to win the World Cup. And they've cemented themselves, I think, as the team to beat. Uh, I suppose there's a question up front. Is it going to be Morata? Is it going to be Diego Costa? Is it going to be Rodrigo? Two of those three guys, by the way, were born in Brazil, interestingly enough. But uh, the rest of the team, my God, I mean, from De Gea to that back line, Pique, Ramos, Carvajal, Jordi Alba, to that midfield, Busquets, Iniesta, Thiago, David Silva, Isco, Coque, Saul, the options are Asensio. It's incredible. And they have an excellent manager in Lopetegui. That was an inspired hire. He knows all those guys from having coached them at youth level. So Spain has their mojo back again. It looked like when uh, they went out on the group stage in 2014 and Euro uh, 2016 wasn't very good either. It looked like maybe the golden age was over, but it looks like it was just a little interruption and now they've got it going again. The best thing that could possibly have happened to Germany was losing to Brazil. And if Germany goes on and wins the World Cup and wins back-to-back World Cups, it will be because Brazil came in and gave them a needed reminder that while they are Germany and while they conceivably could field three different teams at this World Cup and still compete, uh, they are not infallible. They can be beaten and to do it beforehand. In the same way that that Argentina was taught uh, a lesson, I think it's, it's important for these teams to have these lessons happen in uh, in March as opposed to obviously happening uh, happening in June all right so you're, you're so you're saying that, that Spain you're sticking with Spain that they are they are your favorites to win this World Cup absolutely uh, I am gonna stick with Germany if you had to list your let's let's do top three now if you're, if you're saying somebody to go to Vegas right now in terms of the top three who are you and put them in order in terms of your top three it would be Spain number one Germany number two and Brazil number three let me just say on that Brazil Germany game uh, I have to be objective about this. Brazil clearly cared more about the result than Germany. Uh, other than Neymar, who was injured, Brazil played their strongest lineup. Germany played kind of a mixture of starters and backups. Brazil made one sub the whole game while Germany made a bunch. So the whole feel of that game was that Brazil really wanted to win that game while Germany was treating it more like a friendly. So I wouldn't read too much into that result. But you remember what happened in the summer of what would be 2013 in Brazil. Do you remember what happened? Correct. What Brazil happened? won the Confederations Cup. They exactly. beat Spain 3 And I remember I was working uh, for ESPN at the time, and, and I said, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to Absolutely, them. it was, yeah. So I, I, I like messages that are sent, and messages that are sent before the moment when there's no hiding this summer. That's good. Okay, so you said uh, Spain, and then Germany, and then Brazil right. as your top three. I still have Germany as my top. I still have... Brazil is my second, and then I have Spain. All right, outside of your top three, then who who would you who would you have out there? I know you're you're very bullish on uh, Uruguay, right? Yeah, I mean, my, my next two, if we were stretching into a top five, would be France and Belgium. I don't have Argentina in my top five right now. I think Whoa, that- hold it, hold, stop. We, we buried the lead here. Hold on, you do not have Argentina in your top five of potential World Cup winners this summer. 
No, I, I think their problems are real. There's still this myth that they have this exceptional talent. They do up front, but there's only so many strikers you can play at one time. There's a lot of issues in the midfield and defense. There are a lot of average players that are finding their way into that lineup that uh, you're kind of scratching your head. So I think their problems are real. They, they might need Messi to pull like a Maradona 86, uh, and we'll see if he has it in him. But no, I, I, right now I would slide France and Belgium above Argentina in my pecking order. And in terms of dark horses, I mentioned Uruguay last yep. time out. If I had to pick a European team, and you know, I went with Croatia last time out and they, they disappointed me in 2014 they, they could be that sleeper again all that talent with Modric and Rakitic and Mandzukic and company but I'm going to go with Denmark maybe it's just the Christian Eriksen excitement right. from his performance over the weekend we'll get to that in our back three segment but uh, I don't know I, I kind of like what I've seen from that Denmark team so they, they might be something of a sleeper and then you had you also had uh, France and Belgium and if it was your top five Correct. And Argentina out. That is just amazing that Argentina is not in your top five. And it's not just the Brazil in you talking, is it? No, no, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, do you think that they are worse? Don't ever than... question my integrity. <laughs> but do you think that Argentina is worse than they were four years ago when they went to the final and obviously lost the final of the World Cup? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, they haven't totally solved their issues up front, and they're clearly worse at the back. They gave up four goals to Nigeria in a friendly recently, six to Spain. Uh, I think there are some real issues there. Sampaoli, everybody thought it was going to be the manager to finally figure it out, it out and he, he hasn't been so far. But you don't think that this manifests in group stage, right? Argentina, Iceland, Croatia, Nigeria, as a reminder, in Group D. It's a sneaky, tough group, but they Ooh, should get out look, of it. They should get out of it. Look at you hedging a little bit nah, there. Nah, they'll be fine in the no, group They'll stage. be fine. They'll be fine. All right. Uh, so it won't happen until later on in the group. All right. So, uh, all right. Well, that's that's our World Cup date for uh, what's going on. It was it was an interesting break. I don't think it it... It solved all the issues out there or gave us too much of a glimpse. And I, uh, to name drop here, I had a breakfast the other day with Juan Carlos Osorio, the coach of Mexico, who was in town to see El Trafico and to see his players, both uh, Carlos Vela. And he wanted to see the Dos Santai, uh, the two brothers, <laughs> for the Los Angeles Galaxy, but neither one of them played. But he's getting ready for a, a big summer, and he's very, very excited about the potential of this Mexico team. Uh, Mexico beating in the break both, uh, beating Iceland and then losing to your Croatian team, all the way a Croatian team that didn't feature uh, Modric, uh, or who else? Somebody else was gone. Uh, I can't remember who else was gone, but somebody else wasn't there. So it wasn't a full strength. Croatia team. But uh, I don't think Argentina is going to have any problem uh, in the group stage. But we're getting down to it, man. This is, uh, this, this, this is fun stuff. All right, that is our World Cup date uh, for this week. We will have another one next week and every week leading up to the World Cup this summer in Russia. All right, coming down the home stretch, moving on. The back three. Yes, it is our back three. Uh, okay, Mossy, what do we have here for the back three? All right, first up, the U.S. men's national team played over this last international break. They defeated Paraguay 1-0, a goal by Bobby Wood. What were your overall impressions of that match? Well, as I said last week, I, I, I don't know why I care about this. Well, I know why I care about it. I don't know why I should care about it. I care about it because it's a team that I love, and when they're playing, I'm a junkie for it. I'm going to watch it. And I watched this game. I thought that Saif, we're not calling Saif anymore, Seth now, I thought he had a good game. Tyler Adams was uh, was wonderful. Bobby Wood got the goal, although he did not look good. But look, I, I, as, I, as I said before, I know who Bobby Wood is as a player. I know who DeAndre Yedlin is as a player. I know who Darlington Nagby is as a player. I don't care about those types of players. And then 
then I know that Dave Sarakin, who I saw the other day at the StubHub, uh, came in for a lot of criticism. And I think valid criticism and fair criticism because he didn't use all of his subs in this. Well, he, he, he waited until the end to use three of his subs. And someone, for example, like Weya, who we wanted to see, he's a young player, making the 18 over at PSG, came in at the very end of the game and didn't give a lot of time to. There was a wonderful moment in the game, uh, and this has nothing to do necessarily with soccer, but Novakovic, the player who is from Wisconsin, evidently, and uh, getting his first call in, he brought like 16 members of his family. And there was wonderful television to our folks that were televising it. They did a great job of capturing this moment when he walked on the field for the first time to represent his country and to represent uh, the United States with that jersey. And they panned up to the stands where all of these 16 family members were. And they came in on a nice close-up of his mother, who just started bawling. And for me, you know, after all the scores and the, you know, the yelling and screaming about players and tactics and all that kind of stuff, that's what it is for me. And if he never plays another game, I don't, I don't care. I'm so happy that he had this moment. I'm so happy that his family had this moment. And it was a wonderful representation of what ultimately playing for the national team is. It's not about the money. It's not even about the winning. It's about the opportunity that very few people have in life to represent their country on a sporting field and what it means, not just to the actual player, but to their loved ones and their friends and their family and a moment that he nor his family will, will ever forget. And it was just a wonderful moment and great television. Next up, the Champions League quarterfinals get underway this week. Tuesday, it is Juventus-Real Madrid, Sevilla-Bayern, then Wednesday, Barcelona-Roma, and Liverpool-Man City. I have not changed my mind. Uh, Barcelona and Bayern Munich, to me, prohibitive favorites in their ties. I can't see them going out. So the intrigue is really the other two matchups. Uh, I'm fascinated to see, frankly, what lineup Zidane plays in these two legs against Juventus because he's got so many options now. Gareth Bale rounding into form, scored twice over the weekend against Las Palmas. Isco sent a message to Zidane with that hat trick in that Spain 6-1 win over Argentina. Yep. But then again, Asensio and Lucas Vasquez have been so good lately. Zidane's fallen in love with this 4-4-2. He really wants to take advantage of the width of those players. Obviously, you have Benzema, who seems to be untouchable no matter what. And then, who am I forgetting? Is there some Portuguese guy? Ronaldo is 21 <laughs> goals in his last 11 games uh so they they've got a lot of options a lot of different ways he could go there and i'd be curious to see what lineup he plays in these two games do you think that the juve real madrid matchup will be as close as some people believe well i i certainly favor real madrid but i wouldn't discount juve making a very good go of it really uh, yeah they showed against spurs that, that that sort of intestinal fortitude they have uh yeah. they've got a lot of champions in that squad a lot of proud players now that's on tuesday on fs1 Correct. uh Bayern Munich, once again, has yet to play anybody in, in Champions League. So they come up against Sevilla. They should be able to dispatch them over two games. On that, that'll be on Facebook. That's on Facebook. Uh, we know it and we love it. Facebook. And then on Wednesday, Wednesday, as you mentioned, Barcelona, Roma on FS1. And then Liverpool hosting Man City on FS2. Uh, no comment on that decision. But um, <laughs> uh, but so on Liverpool, Man City, the, the one development that's actually sort of pleased me from a biased Brazilian perspective is that it looks like Sergio Aguero will not be fit to start that first leg at Anfield. So it will be Gabriel Jesus on one side, Roberto Firmino on the other. So all the people that are trying to stoke up a big debate over which one of those guys should start for Brazil at the World Cup, they'll get a little head-to-head -head confrontation. But Pep did say Aguero might make the bench 
pretty good option to have on the bench if Not he needs so it. Shabby. Uh, yep. So yeah, Liverpool City, that should be incredible too at Anfield. Yeah. So I, I said that Real Madrid, Bayern, Barcelona, and Man City are all, are all going through. How they go through, that's where the intrigue and that's where the interest is. So tune into all of those games this week. We will be working them as well as Europa on Thursday. So that's going to be fun. All right. What, what else? Anything else here on the uh, back three? And we'll end on a disappointing note for our producer, Alex Dowd. You know, England, they don't have a title race. Man City's probably going to clinch this upcoming weekend against United. And they don't even have a top four race because Tottenham beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge this weekend. And that effectively sealed the deal for me. It's going to be... They didn't beat him. They smacked them around. Uh, and it didn't was, even need Harry Kane. He came on, but he, they were already a, winning. When smoke he, and a coffee. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be City, United, Liverpool, and Tottenham, your top four in some order. And by the way, the order doesn't really matter because the way the new uh, Champions League works uh, second through fourth you go straight into the group stage so Chelsea are eight points back with seven rounds to go so to me that's all she wrote so it's going to trigger these big picture conversations about where does Chelsea go from here at least Arsenal have a path into the Champions League through the Europa League <laughs> Chelsea don't even have that so they will be in the Europa well, League that's next their, season that's where they're going if you're asking where Chelsea are going they're going to Europa exactly well listen Antonio Conte carried on too much about this this season it was annoying but he does have a point it, it was very bizarre uh, after he did such a great job last season, they won the Premier League, but they knew that they benefited from not being in Europe and having to juggle the Champions League this season was going to be different. Plus, City and United were going to were going to spend a lot. They were going to be stronger. And there should have been more of a sentiment at Chelsea coming off last season of, let's build on this momentum. Let's spend big. Let, let's, let's try to put together a super squad that can challenge for the Champions League title. And there just wasn't. Both in the summer and in January, they seemed reluctant to make any big moves. They waited till the very end and then almost out of shame felt like, well, we have to do something and then scrambled and made two or three moves on deadline line day both in the summer and in January but I agree with Conte I don't think he was given the tools to really compete here in the Champions League and the Premier League and to seriously challenge the likes of Man City in England and Barcelona around Madrid in Europe so I, I think they did him a disservice frankly many years years ago when I when I stopped playing and then I got into television the question would come up constantly who do you support out there in the leagues and so I had to kind of figure it out and I had people that I that I've watched and players that I watched but I never really said this is this is the team and uh, when everybody asks this question because everybody always asks me who what teams do you support I don't support any teams but if I have to say what teams in each of the big leagues over in Europe I always say it's based on uh, the teams that spend the most money that's what I want I want big bold arrogant type of teams teams that spend ridiculous amounts of money people don't care and when it came to England I, I went with Chelsea back then because that's that's what they were and they were it was on that uh, on the forefront of these big spending crazy types of super clubs out there. I love super clubs, uh, but to to hear you talk about this right now, Chelsea should not be a team that is being frugal. <laughs> Chelsea is not the team that I want at least saying, well, let's uh, let's let's be smart about this. No, it doesn't mean you have to be dumb. But if you build yourself up as this super club and as this club that is going to spend money and then you don't, you're going to come in for criticism. But that, so you're saying that's an excuse for Conte? Yeah, you know, I think he's actually done a decent job this season with what he's been given. I don't think they have that great a squad. That Now, he does have to take blame for the Diego Costa thing because he's the one that pushed him out the door. They bring Morata, and they wanted Lukaku. They ended up with Morata, and then he didn't trust Morata to start either game against Barcelona, which is a terrible indictment of, of that signing. And then even the January move of getting rid of Batshuayi and bringing in Giroud hasn't worked out as well. So that whole striker position ended up being a bit of a, of a mess. Uh, but now, you know, not being in Champions League next season is going to set off questions about how 
Hazard and Courtois and all these players they have there in demand. Yeah. Is there going to be some sort of exodus? So that bears well, watching. You know and Conte won't be back either. Well, so that's it. We'll I mean, see when, you get, when you is. kick somebody out the door, you know that it's, there's a certain point where you're going to get kicked out the door. Exactly. So Conte, is it going to be? It's going to look very, very different. But it's okay. They'll join uh, who? They'll join Arsenal in the uh, Europa League next <laughs> week when, when Arsenal doesn't find that pathway through the Champions League. All right, that's it. Uh, that's it for our back three. Thank you very much. We've come to the end of the uh, another episode. And as always, at the end of the episode, I give you my one big thing. And my one big thing for today's episode obviously has to do with Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the impact that this man uh, made this weekend in El Trafico. And it goes back to something that we touched on earlier, where I've been around this game for a long time, and I've seen a lot of things. And what we try to do sometimes, almost to our to our detriment is we try to attach added significance to moments, to games, to players. uh, And we try to use them as a referendum on where we are as a league, as a team, as a sport. And that's what's happening right now with this Zlatan thing. It's almost unavoidable in, in U.S. soccer and in North American soccer, when you have this type of moment that resonates, that cuts through all of the clutter and is being reported on by mainstream sports outlets, people that wouldn't normally report on soccer, let alone on Major League Soccer. And so I get that attachment. But once again, it goes back to there comes a point in life where you also have to look at something and just take it for face value and just enjoy it. And so I hope that whether you're an MLS fan, whether you're a, a LA Galaxy fan, whether you're even a soccer fan, that you take a moment, find the highlights, look at what happened in that day, and you don't have to attach anything to it. Just take it for what it is, a beautiful moment from a wonderful player that may resonate for many, many years to come, and I do believe that it will. And take that moment for yourself. Enjoy the game. It is called a beautiful game for a reason, because of these beautiful moments that we have. And I'll tell you what, this weekend was a beautiful moment, and I was so privileged and proud and happy that I was there to witness it. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the State of the Union podcast. You can catch us and talk to us and yell at us on Twitter. I am at Alexi Lalas. Mossy, you are where on Twitter? What is it again? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy. You can hit us up on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. You can find us on Fox Sports, Fox Soccer, all that different stuff. Use the hashtag AskAlexi. Send all of your questions, comments, and concerns to us. Who knows? We may read them on air. Please, please go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you use to download podcasts. Download, rate, review, and of course, subscribe. We will be here every single week. We will see you again next week. And as always, size the day. <laughs>